Well, thank you, Elder Wingpo. Good morning, church. Now, with all the carols and the passage, it does feel like Christmas, isn't it? Yeah, I was almost tempted to title this sermon, It's Christmas Again. But let us not be overly, overly familiar with this passage and pray that God will help us to ponder again the good news of great joy. Now, the best way to follow the sermon is really to have your Bibles open to Luke chapter 2. And if you find it helpful to follow an outline, you can download our e-bulletin on our website. Now, my second child, Adriel, uh, was born in my last year at Bible College in Sydney, Australia. As a second child, we were rather prepared for his birth. You know, bags were packed way beforehand. We figured out the fastest route to the hospital. And we have arranged uh, for Pastor Joe and Hui Ching to look after our older daughter, Karis, when uh, we have to go to the hospital because we were neighbours in the college at the time. So we were already waiting and looking forward to Adriel's arrival. And so the day came. It was pretty good timing as well. We had our dinner and I managed to get our older child, Karis, to bed before calling uh, Joe and Hui Ching over. And all set, and off we went to the hospital. Everything was smooth on the way. I dropped Mason off, parked the car, and joined her after. And then when I entered the reception area, I sensed uh, something amiss. Mason was having a sort of a troubled, uncertain expression. And trust me, that is not from the contraction. Well, as it is, the delivery wards were full. Oh, it would be difficult to go to another hospital at that point. So what should we do? Well, that, this wasn't part of my scenario planning. And the receptionist then suggested that we go to the birth center of the hospital instead. Birth center. What is, what is that? Well, it is a place where you deliver the baby without any medical intervention and the husband is supposed to deliver the baby. <laughs> now, the whole setup simulates how it's like to deliver at home. Oh my, the word fear has never been so real. Well, we had no choices by then, and, uh, and we went with it. Adriel was somehow miraculously born, he's still alive, and, uh, and I will leave the personal, no traumatic details for another day. But I see, like any parent, Joseph and Mary have made preparations to deliver their firstborn. They will be waiting and looking forward to having their firstborn in their own home in Nazareth. They will have all the comfort, the certainty, and the help needed for safe delivery. But it was not to be. What counts for Joseph and Mary is even more unexpected and disruptive than what I experienced. See, verse 1 tells us that a decree from Caesar Augustus requires that all the world should be registered. Caesar Augustus was also known as Octavian, was the first Roman emperor. He was indeed very powerful. After crushing all his enemies, he inaugurated the golden age of peace and prosperity, otherwise known as the Pax Romana. And that lasted about 200 years. But he still needed to collect taxes to support his empire. So to facilitate that, 
regular censuses had to be conducted. And as it is, Joseph had to go back to his hometown, Bethlehem, at a time for one of those. See, Bethlehem is about a three to four day journey from Nazareth. And despite the long journey, Joseph had to go back to Bethlehem with the heavily pregnant Mary. However, this turn of events is not outside of God's sovereignty. See, Caesar Augustus may be the most powerful king at a time to make people move at his decree. But God is ultimately the sovereign one who can use the most powerful human king to achieve his purposes. Because the result of that is that Jesus will be born in Bethlehem. So what is the big deal about Jesus being born in Bethlehem? For that, we need to look at Micah chapter 5, verse 2 to 4. See, in the book of Micah, God has promised to rescue and redeem Israel after a time of judgment. And by Micah chapter 5, we are told that it will be accomplished through a Davidic king. See, King David himself was born in Bethlehem, and a king from his line is going to be born in Bethlehem to fulfill God's plans and promises. This king will rule and save God's people. So from Luke 1, we already knew that Jesus will be from the line of David through Joseph. So to be born in Bethlehem is like a double confirmation that Jesus is indeed that prophesied Davidic king who is to come. God is sovereign and faithful to keep his promises. He can make the most powerful person at that time to unwittingly serve his purposes. But where will this great king be born? Not in the palace as you would expect, but in the manger which is basically a feeding trough for animals' feet. Now, most of us may be heavily influenced by, you know, Christmas carols, videos, or skits to think that, oh, Joseph and Mary were rejected by a heartless innkeeper because the inn was full. Now, if you look at verse 7, the word inn there is actually better translated as guest room. In some Jewish houses at the time, there, there would be guest room apart from the common room. And due to the census, a lot of relatives would have traveled to their hometown just like Joseph. So it may be that this guest room of Joseph's relative is already full with other relatives. As a result, Joseph and Mary had to stay over in the adjacent or just part of the common room where the animals took shelter for the night. If you go to some developing countries now, you can still see those things. A room that is part of the whole house that sheltered animals. In any case, the point is that it was a humble birth. We do not expect any king to be born among animals and to use a feeding trove for a creep. It shows clearly that Jesus came not just to save the rich and the powerful. He humbled himself to be a human being and live among common folks. This humble birth is further reinforced by the fact that the news of this birth was first announced to the shepherds. You know, I still remember in uh, 2013 when uh, Prince George was born to Prince William and Catherine, uh, then known as the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge. There was a media craze about it. Photographers and journalists 
camped outside you know, the hospital for days just to catch a glimpse or a shot, a photo of that third in line heir to the throne. And I heard and I read that it is a, it's a royal protocol that the monarch then, Queen Elizabeth, must be the first person to be informed of the birth. The big shots must know first. But here we have the shepherds being the first to be told and subsequently first to witness the newborn Davidic king. Shepherds were not despised in Jewish society, but nonetheless, they, are, they still represented the common, the lowly, and the, and the humble folks. Yet God chose, chose them to be the, one of the first recipients and the witnesses of this Messiah's birth. It shows again that the glorious Son of God comes to ordinary, lowly, and fallen humanity. And what then was made known to these shepherds? From verse 10, a very familiar passage for all of us, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. You know, from this short proclamation, there are three titles given to Jesus. In fact, this will be the only place in the whole of the New Testament that these three titles appear together to describe Jesus. So firstly, Jesus is the Savior. In the Old Testament, God is the one who often saves his people. And the Old Testament prophets have also prophesied that God will come to save them when he's done with judging them for their sins and rebellion. So in that sense, Jesus comes primarily to save his people from their sins. But secondly, Jesus is proclaimed by the angel to be the Christ. Now Christ means Messiah, right? Which, who is the prophesied Davidic king through whom God will come to save his people. And lastly, Jesus is the Lord. Unlike the Old Testament, the, Lord, the title Lord can sometimes just mean a master or, or a king. However, it can also be used to describe God as we will see in verse 26 later. If that is so, then this is a huge and a big statement about Jesus and his identity. Therefore, this is indeed, indeed good news that deserves a response of great joy. For God's promises of sending Christ to save them has been fulfilled. See, the Savior, Christ the Lord, has been born to save and to rule the world. And it's so joyous that a multitude of the heavenly hosts, hosts while the angels suddenly appeared to praise God. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Indeed, God deserves all the glory and praise for keeping his promises to send the Saviour King to deliver his people. And there will be peace, peace as a result of his coming. Now, this peace refers to the harmonious relationship between God and his people. Now, that relationship, as we all know, was broken ever since Adam and Eve sin against God. 
and now through Jesus, there will be this restoration of this pre-fall harmonious relationship which will further restore all other relationships. However, as we read this passage, this peace is only for those whom he is pleased with. That refers to those who will receive his favour to enjoy this unmerited grace of God. This peace will not be attained by our own efforts and not by our own works. See, on our own, we will always wage war and rebel against God. So God will have to be the one to take the step to deal with sin that separates us from Him. But what were the responses to this amazing yet paradoxical proclamation of the Saviour born in a manger? Well, the lowly shepherds, they went in haste to look for this child without being told to. And they were rewarded for their faith. They met the baby Jesus according to what was told to them. And furthermore, they did not keep the good news to themselves. So if you look at verse 17, they made it known to others, which includes more than just Joseph and Mary. Now that is a sign of active faith. They were thankful to what God has done and unashamedly told others about it. And in the end, they returned home, blessed, glorifying and praising God for all that they heard and seen. God was faithful even in fulfilling what was promised to these lowly shepherds. But on the other hand, those who heard from the shepherds marveled. In other words, they are amazed, surprised. But there, were no, there was no further description of their response. See, they did not follow the shepherds in looking for the baby in the manger. So he actually suggests that it was not full faith, but they were just being surprised. And we will read later on in this gospel that about many others who will also marvel at Jesus' works and his words without necessarily having faith. As for Mary, verse 19 tells us that she treasured up all these, pondering them in her heart. Although Mary has been told earlier about who Jesus is, she was still trying to you know, understand all that has unfolded before her and, and wonder what all these, wor- these words and all these events mean. See, she was perhaps still contemplating and trying to put her thoughts together in an understandable whole. See, in summary for this first section, Joseph and Mary, they were waiting for the birth of their child and looking for, forward to having him in their familiar home in Nazareth. But God, in his sovereign plan, have their son born as the Davidic king in Bethlehem. The shepherds were looking for a baby in a manger, but who they found is their saviour, Christ the Lord, who will bring peace with God. They acted in faith and were rewarded for being the first witnesses of Christ. As the narrative goes, the faithfulness and obedience of Joseph and Mary continued to be highlighted as they went to Jerusalem for their purification. They also came to present Jesus to the Lord because he was the firstborn. All these were according to the law. 
but this trip is going to be a bit different. Now, some of you know that uh, I went on a three and a half weeks course in Israel during my sabbatical in 2019. After completing the course, all of us headed back to our own country. I was the only one from Singapore, and I traveled alone. You know, and after checking in, I uh, went up to the custom officer, and he opened my passport, and then he saw quite a few you know, Malaysian immigration chop on it. Now, as you know, Malaysia and Israel are not on good terms, right? So the custom officer asked me why I kept going in. Now, without thinking much about it, I said, oh, well, I go to Malaysia often for holidays, and then I have to stupidly add that I also go to Malaysia yearly for church camp. He immediately looked up at, at me and asked me firmly, what kind of camp? See, no matter how hard I tried to explain, he wasn't too convinced. The next thing I know, I was ushered to another queue where they searched my luggage thoroughly and I had to go through a few of those scanning equipment. Thankfully, they didn't search me here. Yeah. Well, they kept me in a waiting area for more than an hour and then I looked around and all the other people who look a lot more dubious than I am and thinking to myself how stupid I was to say that. Well, thankfully, I went four hours ahead on my flight and I could afford that long delay. Now, I see Joseph and Mary's trip to Jerusalem also didn't turn out to be that straightforward as well. See, their trip of obedience had an unexpected twist. See, the focus then turns to a righteous and a devout man called Simeon. So, unlike many of us, it seems like he has only one item in his bucket list. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, what does that mean, consolation of Israel? You see, in Isaiah 52, verse 9 to 10, God promised to bring comfort, comfort to the nation of Israel who has been under judgment for their sin and oppression by their enemies. Therefore, that comfort, that consolation will come when they are delivered from sin and judgment. So now Simeon was not only pious, but he's also blessed with the Holy Spirit working in him. So the Holy Spirit was mentioned three times in association with Simeon in this short section. Simeon was said to have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit revealed to him that he would not see death before he has seen the Lord's Christ. And then he was guided by the Holy Spirit, better than any GPS, to find Joseph, Mary, and Jesus in the midst of everyone in the temple. Simeon then carried Jesus in his arm, and he thanked God that he can now depart in peace because his bucket list has been fulfilled. But more importantly, God's word is fulfilled. It is firstly fulfilled in what God has said to Simeon. He has really seen the Lord's Christ before he dies. And secondly, God's promises in the Old Testament were also fulfilled. See, verse 31 tells us that the salvation that God has prepared is now a reality. Jesus is the Christ who will bring salvation. And this salvation is not just for Israel, but for all peoples and all nations. And verse 32 tells us further that Jesus is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Once again, it's taken from the book of Isaiah, in particular Isaiah 49, verse 6. 
See, in Isaiah, the chief figure in the Isaiah prophecies is the servant of the Lord. He's the one who will restore the remnants of Israel. And this servant is also said to bring light to the Gentiles. He will reveal to the Gentiles that God's salvation plans includes them and not just for Israel. And by quoting that, Simeon is saying, Jesus is that promise and prophesied servant of the Lord who will fulfill God's promises. However, the coming of Jesus were not all good news to everyone. There were further words from Simeon in verses 34 to 35. Jesus was appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. In short, Jesus will bring division. He will be a cornerstone for those who believe, but also a stumbling stone for those who don't. See, not everyone will welcome Jesus with open arms, as we already know by now. He himself will be the object of opposition and hostility because he will challenge every person's thought, sin, pride, and presumptions. See, as different people encounter Jesus in the rest of the gospel, the thoughts in their hearts will be revealed. How people re respond to Jesus will reveal truly what they are looking for. For example, many of the Jewish leaders at the time will then reveal what their concerns were and they were their status and their pride rather than waiting and looking for God's salvation. And even Mary herself will not be spared from what Jesus will bring. A sword will pierce through her own soul also. So most likely, it means that she will have to witness and endure the life, the opposition, the suffering, and the eventual death of her own child. She will experience it soon enough in the next section and later on in Luke chapter 8. Now this journey of obedience continued to bring unexpected twists. First, it was Simeon, and then it was Anna the prophetess. See, Anna was probably a very well-known person in the temple which established another reliable witness to Jesus. Indeed, God can use people of any age and status to be his witnesses if they remain faithful. So even today, there are many grandparents among us, many seniors among us, who have been so used by God to witness to their grandchildren and the people of their age. But back to Anna, advanced in age, widowed for many years. She was very pious and devoted. And like Simeon, she has been waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem, which is the same as the redemption or the consolation of, of Israel. She too gave thanks to God for Jesus because she knew that Jesus will bring about that redemption in fulfillment of God's promises. In summary, these two faithful servants of God, they were waiting and they were looking for God's salvation, His consolation and His redemption. And they found Jesus, the one who would achieve all of that. As the account goes, the family returned to Nazareth and Jesus continues to grow in every aspect. 
The favour of God was upon him and the growth and favour were clearly shown in this next section when the family made a trip to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. Once again, the Gospel highlights that the parents were pious, they were faithful in obeying the law. Jesus was 12 at the time and just one year before he's considered responsible before God in Jewish terms. And after the feast was over, Joseph and Mary headed back to Nazareth. However, Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem and they only found him missing after a day. Now, what a nightmare, isn't it, for any parent? See, man, when uh, my children were very young, we went on a trip to Pulau Ubin with uh, another family with uh, three, three children of about same, similar age to ours. And uh, we had a good time, you know, walking and cycling before we headed back to the jetty. And while we were waiting for the bum boat, the kids were playing games with one another, and our adults were just chatting away. And then a bum, bum boat came, uh, we boarded the boat, and, and off we went. And however, when the boat was about 30 meters away from the jetty, then my daughter was in the bum boat, suddenly asked where her friend was. There was immediate silence from all of us. We looked around, but we couldn't find that friend, you know, the, the, the daughter of my friend uh, in the boat. And I looked into the water immediately in fear that, oh, she might have just dropped into the waters, right, while boarding the boat. But thankfully, as we looked up, she was still at the jetty, <laughs> leaning against the rails, looking at the clouds, right? <laughs> she was totally immersed in her own thoughts and simply had no idea we left. Now, the boatman was at least nice enough to head back to pick her up and laughing at us at the same time. And since then, Caris is now known as the best friend who saved her. Now, we would have reached Changi otherwise, right? You see, traveling in a crowd, and we're not that big a crowd, everybody thought she was with the other kid or the other parent. Now, the journey from Nazareth to Jerusalem is about 80 miles, which is about 128 kilometers. That is the distance roughly from 25 Adam Road here to Yongping in Johor. Now that takes about three to four days at that time to travel. And there were often highway robbers along the way, and so pilgrims tend to travel in large caravans for protection. They may even split the man and the woman in different caravans. So it is possible. Possible that they were traveling in such a large caravan group that they think that Jesus was with the other parents or with other relatives or other acquaintances traveling with them. Now, these were the days before air tech and live location, right? You see, in all likelihood, Jesus was discovered to be missing perhaps on the first evening when the whole caravan stopped for rest. Joseph and Mary then headed back to Jerusalem immediately to look for their lost child. And as it turns out, Jesus wasn't really lost. He was found among the teachers in the temple, listening to them and answering their questions. Now that's the chief way of learning in those times, dialoguing between the teacher and the student. Sounds like a Bible study, isn't it? Now all who heard Jesus were amazed as we, as we do when we, when we meet a protege of some sorts, right? Now, we have heard about Nathaniel Cole, who is a genius in math and music. Now, I read on the news the other day that uh, Singapore has a lot more, you know, of these protégés in other fields. See, we have a teenage protégé in chess, another in violin. We've had one in skydiving. See, we will be amazed 
when we see them do their stuff. Likewise, the people at the temple, they were also amazed by the advancement in wisdom and the knowledge of God's word of this 12-year-old. Even Jesus' parents were astonished to see him interacting with the teachers. But nonetheless, they were probably still upset with him staying behind in the temple without telling them. So Mary asked him with a, perhaps a, a tinge of rebuke, why he would do such a thing to put his parents in such distress? It's sometimes like how we would tell our kids, why didn't you hold my hand? Why do you run around? I still remember the times when my son was young, he would be running around and getting himself hurt. And my instant response when my son gets hurt was to scold him for being silly and not heeding my advice. Now, I'm not advocating this kind of parenting again. I'm not saying that. But that was me being upset that he was hurt and not wanting him to get hurt again. And then Jesus' reply to Mary was perhaps that very sword to the soul for Mary, as Simeon said, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? See, that, my friends, is another big statement. You see, nobody addresses God as my father in such a personal and intimate way in those days. Because by doing so, by making all these statements, Jesus showed three things. He firstly showed his identity, the identity as one who is intimately and have a unique relationship with God the Father. No one else is remotely close to calling God his own Father. And that will be an issue the Pharisees had with him later in his adulthood. But secondly, it showed Jesus' priorities. See, for him, to receive instruction from God and to grow in his understanding of God's word, those were his priorities. And lastly, it showed what Jesus' mission was. See, the word must is the Greek word day, and scholars call it the divine necessity. See, this word will be used in significant places in Luke's gospel. The Son of Man must suffer. The scriptures must be fulfilled. So what happened in the temple in Luke 2 is a foretaste of what is to come for Jesus. Jesus must obey God's will that will ultimately and eventually bring him to the cross. And just in case you think that, well, Jesus was some rebellious son, he was not. Verse 51 tells us that he was submissive to his parents and he went back to Nazareth with them. But nonetheless, the whole incident shows us, shows us his identity, his priorities, and the necessity to obey his father's will before his earthly parents. Again, Mary still did not fully understand what happened and what was said. But nonetheless, Mary once again treasured up all these things in her heart. And Joseph and Mary came looking for their lost child but they found the Son of God obeying and doing His Father's will. So let me ask all of us here, right? what are you waiting and looking for? Is the birth of Jesus good news 
of great joy for you. Now, the answer to that question really depends on what we are waiting and looking for. So, for many parts of the world now, they will be waiting and looking for help to end wars and to bring peace to their land. Some countries are waiting and looking for a political leader or a party to solve all their economic and social problems. Or some of our youths may be waiting for their results or their posting results, hoping that they will get what they want. Others may be waiting and looking for a job, a relationship, or a child. And maybe some of us who are unwell or suffering in one way or another are waiting and looking for relief or healing. Now, there's nothing wrong with waiting and looking for many of these things. There will indeed be joy when we receive what we hope and wait for. However, many of these things are temporary joys in this world that we live in. There is a greater joy, an eternal joy that does not end with death. It is the great joy of having peace with God. See, Caesar Augustus, with all his power and his Pax Romana, cannot offer that peace. That broken relationship with God due to sin, resulting in more broken relationships, suffering, pain, and death, can only be dealt with by Jesus. For it is true, his death and resurrection that Jesus did not just bring about a truce or a ceasefire, but a total reversal of the brokenness and the hostility between God and humankind. And that is why Simeon could die in peace when he saw Jesus. For he has seen the Saviour who can make this peace and reconciliation possible. If that is what we are waiting and looking for, then the coming of Jesus is truly good news of great joy. So what then is our response? Will we respond in faith like the shepherds who will seek and find Jesus? And perhaps we may be like Mary who is still trying to make sense of everything. However, she never stopped treasuring and pondering. So we can be like her to keep hearing and considering who Jesus may mean to us. But we must not stop, cannot stop short at just marveling at this Jesus who has shown wisdom beyond his age, who will teach with, who has, who will teach with authority, who will do miracles and eventually die on the cross. We cannot remain just amazed. Because Jesus came not as a baby to be cuddled, or a young protege to be amazed by. Jesus came to divide opinions, reveal the thoughts in our hearts, and demand a response from us. See, we may fall or rise depending on our response to Him. However, if you are truly waiting and looking for peace with God, the salvation, the forgiveness, and the deliverance from sin they will be realized and we will be satisfied. For God is sovereign and faithful in keeping His promises to save and to give us peace through Christ. No amount of time and no powerful person or empire can stop Him. 
In fact, they will be used by him to fulfill his promises as we saw. And furthermore, Jesus himself is so determined to do his Father's will, and he did that when he went obediently to the cross to die for our sins. So my friends, the salvation and the peace with God is secured by the Lord Jesus. So may we pray and respond to Jesus in faith. Let us rise and pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your precious word to us. Indeed, all glory and praise go to you for being the sovereign and faithful God who keeps his promises to save us from sins and to give us peace with you. In our sin and weaknesses, our eyes are often fixed on the things of this world. So help us, dear Lord, to recognize our greatest need, that is to be forgiven and reconciled to you. And may the coming of Jesus truly be good news of great joy to us, for only Jesus is the only one who can save us through his death and resurrection. Help us to respond in faith as we wait for the fullness of it to come to pass. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.